Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen, the Action 22 radio show that visits about the different issues that are going on in Southern Colorado uh, for the state and the federal level. Uh, We have with us today, uh, joining us again, is Brian McCain, uh, and our guest today is Mike Beasley. Mike Beasley is the CEO and president of 5280 Strategies out of Denver. He's one of the the more influential lobbyists uh, for our state. He actually sits on the Action 22 Board of Directors, um, and he helps us out at the Capitol a lot. And so he's very dialed in on everything that's going on um, up there. He is also the former uh, chief of staff for Governor Owens. So he has uh, done a lot of work. He's been around for a long time, um, and he's always watching what uh, what's happening with our state. Um, and I asked him to be on the show today because I wanted to really do a, um, a post-game analysis of, of the election what's happening, um, not just on the federal level, but on the state and local level, uh, the ballot issues that came up and what, uh, what we were, um, what the impact is of everything um, that happened uh, with this election. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So I wanted to first visit and get your perspective, um, and then we'll go through all of the ballot, not all the ballot measures, but the ballot measures that Action 22 took position on, Um, but I wanted to first sort of deconstruct, interestingly enough, um, the whole gray wolf introduction or reintroduction um, on public lands here in Colorado. Um, I thought that this was a really bizarre, um, a bizarre thing to even put on the ballot. What, and it, it passed just with a very razor thin margin on this. I mean, it went back and forth that there'd even be a recount on this. What do you think this says about what's going on in Colorado? What's it indi- what does this indicate to you? Well, for me, I have to tell you, my, my view of this is less about the policy of the reintroduction and more about the divide between rural Colorado and let's say the metro area of Denver. Um, years ago, the voters, uh, through the citizen initiative process, banned the spring bear hunt. And similar to the situation we saw on Tuesday, um, rural voters uh, voted against that, and uh, metro area front range voters voted for it. And back then, Senator Ames from the San Luis Valley tried to put some guide, guide rails around that um, legislatively, and he was defeated in that attempt. And so for me, the reintroduction of the gray wolf, especially when uh, we know that there's evidence that it's been in Colorado, uh, in Northwest Colorado in particular, um, is kind of an example of Denver or outside interests from Colorado trying to drive our policy. And, you know, for me, um, disappointingly so, um, Colorado, it's easy to get on our ballot. So we've seen over the years, many times people will fund campaigns to test things out uh, through citizen initiatives um, and and to put it on our ballot. And then after we've wrestled with it in our state, it somehow pops up 
coincidentally in places like California where right. a lot of the issues have been ironed out. And so I will tell you as a fourth generation native of Colorado, I found that initiative frustrating um, for the proponents and their defense. It was about the policy, but for me, it's just the, this, it, it helps make again, the divide between rural and urban Colorado worse. So Brian and I have talked about this a lot um, and really what the strategy was of that. And I, I like what you just said about um, people from other states trying it out in Colorado first and then seeing what the sort of what the threshold is. And I really wondered if that was part of, of this is not, like you said, not so much about the policy and about the wolves, but really um, what's the threshold on uh, what we as Coloradoans are willing um, to vote for on stuff that that clearly doesn't make any sense. I I didn't see anything about this that made any sense whatsoever, and especially now um, with the fires in that area. And and so I guess the question I've heard a lot of that um, maybe you can give some insight to is um, how did this even get on the ballot? Like why is Colorado like that? Well, you know, and I will say um, in the uh, rural, your rural legislators have worked hard for the last 15 or so years. Senator Entz, I mentioned earlier, Senator right. Gigi Smith from Pueblo West at the time, and uh, Senator Tapia and others from Pueblo. Your current legislators, President Garcia and new House Majority Leader Denea Escar, um, really have worked hard to put a balance and require, if you're going to amend the Constitution, you need a certain amount of votes uh, to achieve it before it can go in. So you can't just stay in Denver on the 16th Street Mall and pay petition circulators to put something on the ballot. And right. you start to see evidence that this is the second election where that, that new threshold is, has occurred, where we saw one of the constitutional uh, amendments that was referred by the legislature go down. And it was non-controversial, and it had to do with changing our charitable laws related to bingo. And right. um, why in the world is that in the Constitution? Well, it's been that way forever. We needed to tweak it. You needed, they needed to reach a 55% voter approval threshold. They didn't get it. Um, at last check, they were around 51 or 52%, 51%. And, and so um, it just means next time they need to do more work to educate the voters. I think that without hurting someone's access to address government through the petition process, um, it made more sense to put a hurdle that before you change it, um, uh, go to a higher level and then let the legislature and, uh, and urge people to do statutory changes that if they do something wrong or conditions change, the legislature can come back and tweak it in a statute versus constantly trying to amend the constitution. So with that, uh, I think during the interim session and correct me if I'm wrong, the interim session um, there was a record number of issues on that ballot, 13, I think. And then this time it was 11. Um, this seems ridiculous. It's, it feels like we tried to do that so that you wouldn't have so many issues on the ballot. And there's some things like, I don't understand how wolves, for example, where the parks and rec or the parks and um, wildlife in Colorado, um, these are the, these are the biologists, there's the science and we just kind of, you know, on one hand, we say, um, we're going to follow the science. We're going to follow the science. And on the other hand, we're like, we're going to put the science to the vote of, you know, 
of, of Coloradans to see if that's really what they want to do. Um, I don't, I, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how they can just, you know, sort of circumvent a, a, an agency that that's actually what their job is and say, we don't like what you're doing. So we're going to put this on a ballot. It feels like they're pushing, they're pushing boundaries. And maybe that's the conspiracy theorist in me, but I, I have no other explanation for it. Well, it, it, you know, and I hear you and I appreciate your frustration and, and I've shared mine and, but, you know, the ability for folks to, to address government through the petition process is one that's really important and has really been utilized in Colorado since the early 90s. So if you look okay. at the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, that's a good example where they tried to limit government spending. The legislature wouldn't do it. So as a result, we have Tabor. Look at this year's ballot alone on paid family medical leave. That was one that had been tried for four years in the legislature. Um, it had been negotiated down to a point that the proponents of that new law didn't like what was in the statute. So they just, they told the legislature, you know what, we're just going to go to the ballot. We're tired of messing with you legislators and negotiating with the governor. We're going to go right to the voters. So, and they did, and the voters approved it. And it's a much more robust program than what was being considered in the legislature, robust in terms of benefits and what people have to you know, pay in terms of uh, their a tax increase to, to help fund it over the long term. And that, you know, so when people are frustrated with government, they can go, um, they can address government that way. And they did that on this ballot. Another good example of citizens trying to, to kind of have a check and a balance over their citizen legislature um, is the, um, the issue on the uh, getting written, Colorado being part of the Electoral College uh, revamp discussion. Um, right. And, you know, and you can see uh, the television behind me and political nerds like me are watching every syllable that's being uttered on national <laughs> news um, watching the presidential election. But, um, you know, that was an issue where the legislature said we're going to join this national compact and when the number of states automatically um um, meet that threshold, we're going to get rid of the Electoral College. And a group of citizens said, no, we don't agree with that. We want the voters to vote on it. We want them to uphold your decision to join, uh, to over, we want them to repeal your decision to jump into that compact. And the voters said no to that repeal. So we are now back in that compact. That's only so the this time that that's happened in my lifetime, and I'm pretty old. <laughs> Well, speaking of stuff that's happened in your lifetime, let's talk a little bit about the Gallagher Amendment repeal. So um, there was a lot of, there's a lot of conflicting information on Gallagher, um, but it, it did pass. But this was one that um, we, we uh, the position Action 22 took was um, to support that repeal. But I think a lot of people didn't understand what that was about. There was a, we, we caught some frustration from that for sure. That was, the, that was the position we took. And as someone who's friends with Dennis Gallagher, uh, the author of this way back in the day. Right. Uh, um, you know, he had passed this back way before the Tabor Amendment was voted into the Constitution. And um, it's one of those challenges when you take away control of the legislature to make these kind of decisions with current conditions and you lock these things in our state constitution, it makes it difficult to navigate. And right. we're Colorado was going to feel the effects of this. And what I mean by that is um, 
values of property keep going up, but residential and demands of government keep going up, but the, the amount of money that residential payers were giving was ratcheting down in terms of their property tax. And it was ratcheting up to make up for that loss by commercial businesses. Right. Someone, um, you know, back when I worked for the state, you know, one of the first things that were asked for by um, businesses that want to relocate or expand to Colorado um, or frankly to stay in Colorado and make reinvestments in our state was, you know, you, you know, they would say to us, uh, help us understand your tax policy in Colorado, property tax, sales tax, <laughs> tax. Right. Um, because it's a deterrent for business. Um, but with the economy the way it is today, uh, it was like the perfect storm because this has been tried to repeal Gallagher for at least 20 years that I can think of, um, that I can recall. Um, because it's hard to fund special districts, police, fire, water and sanitation, soil districts with the declining property tax revenue. And so um, this freezes that and um, helps kind of set the stage moving forward on how we're gonna tax property. Um, folks that were against it thinks it raises their taxes because the residential rates uh, percentage isn't gonna go down. So the lack of a, of, a, of a ratchet down of their taxes for them means a tax increase. You know, for me, um, it means that your local governments are going to have some certainty on how they fund themselves and provide the services right. you want. And that's just good people in Colorado seeing it differently. Again, this has been tried at least three or four times, both in the ballot and at the legislature. Um, finally, I think the storm was perfect and the voters approved it. Yeah, this was, I think this was one of those things that actually worked. And I know that there was a lot um, of a pushback on it. But when we look at, especially in our rural communities where um, you, you know, you have one fire department, it's a tiny little fire department or, or those kinds of things where these guys weren't going to be able to even do those, um, provide those basic services. They were going to have to shut them down and, and, you know, wait for 30 minutes or more um, from other places. I think that was, that was the big, I, that was the big part for us was um, on that and and just getting into that ratchet down effect. Um, we have a lot of listeners outside of Colorado um, and in, even in Colorado, they, Colorado fiscal policy is incredibly complicated and uh, is unique in the country. And so it's really hard um, even for for citizens here to understand it, but for, for people who are listening outside of, of Colorado, um, Colorado fiscal policy is again, one of those things that was tried here first. Um, and so that's one of the things that makes it um, interesting and, and a little bit difficult, a little bit of a heavy lift. Um, I wanted to talk just really quick about um, Amendment 77 that allowed um, the, the communities that have um, gaming in their communities to make some decisions. Um, I thought this was actually, and we supported this, but uh, this was interesting um, that this needed to happen. Um, what were the implications from where you're sitting for that? Well, you know, this is another one that actually was brought by citizens in those gaming communities and along with the businesses in their communities, the different gaming institutions to say, we want more control. We want to be able, we don't want to constantly um, have to run to the voters because this is a citizen initiative when we first created it. We don't want to constantly have to go to the voters. Let's empower these local communities 
to and their businesses to offer the types of games that people want, to allow them to do limits that um, actually in a meaningful way um, attract customers, not just from here in Colorado, but you know whether you're in Cripple Creek or Blackhawk, for example, you want to be, those communities are evolving to becoming destinations for tourism. And so if you want to compete with the Las Vegas, the South Dakotas uh, in our region, this gives them that opportunity. And I know that local governments are already considering ordinances in anticipation that the voters would have approved this to allow them to talk about the types of games and the types of limits. And I think it'll be really good for these communities. It's going to raise tax revenue, both for local governments and state governments. Um, uh, it, it continues money's funding for our Colorado community colleges. And I, it's my opinion that our higher ed institutions are underfunded, like so much else in our state in terms of state government support. And this was a win-win. And, you know, with that, um, it was passing with nearly 60% of the vote. Um, right. And I think the voters read it and understood it. It's the third time they've addressed gaming in Colorado at the ballot. And um, I think it was a good decision. Well, I really liked, what I really liked about this one was these are the, the communities that this affects, they're the ones that would make the decisions on it. Um, and I really liked that. And it was sort of the same thing with the wolves, right? Mm -hmm. And just going back to that too, um, you know, Blackhawk, Colorado, I think it's, uh, it's a Gilpin County. Um, due to COVID, they were hit the hardest of any county that mm. had gambling in it. I think their county revenue is almost 80% comes from gaming there. So this could be a lifesaver for them to make up for what they're losing out on. Ugh. From a state perspective, in full disclosure, I represent the city of Blackhawk. Um, at the legislature um, as their lobbyist um, and part of the team. And we work on tax policy. When you look at all of the state tax revenue, Blackhawk generates around 85% of it. Wait, wait, wait. Say that again, Mike. Blackhawk generates 85%. The, the casinos in Blackhawk generate around 85% of all the gaming tax revenue at the state level. Holy so you're looking God. at around 140, 150 million, 160 million, depending on the year of tax revenue going right into the state's general fund. And so, um, you know, giving them that flexibility, letting Cripple Creek kind of compete against the Blackhawks, promoting that competition, um, supporting regional tourism. To me, this was the right policy and the voters saw the benefit. That's awesome. Um, well, we're glad that some bright spots, because that's what we were asking. Um, so let's talk about Proposition EE for a second. So this was an increase of taxes on um, tobacco and nicotine, I think vaping, e-cigarettes and that sort of thing. Um, I, was, I was surprised that this was as close as it was. Well, um, you know, I, what I would say about that is folks don't necessarily instinctually like to raise taxes and they read it. Um, and what this was, another way of looking at this was a modernization of our tax policy related to tobacco. We taxed yes. tobacco in Colorado, but we weren't taxing nicotine. So when folks are vaping, they're not vaping tobacco, they're vaping nicotine. Right. So in what we saw in, in your schools and across the state and in Southern Colorado, we're really concerned at all the vaping and with students they were seeing. So for the same reasons we've started taxing tobacco years ago, 
we are now as a state made a policy decision that we're going to tax uh, nicotine. And, and it was tough to get through the legislature. And I think one of the reasons why voters were hesitant, they saw where the money was going. And so it, 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 I was there that last day of session when this was negotiated and I watched it, you know, where there were rural legislators like Don Corum from Southwest Colorado, a senator, right. who said, look, you know, you don't have 18 votes for this and I want to fight for rural Colorado. I want rural affordable housing and I want more money in rural health care. And so he works across party lines with Democrats like President Garcia and others and put that deal together. And but the public didn't quite understand it, I think, when they saw where the money was going. But ultimately, um, it, it, it did pass, will pass. Um, and that'll be part of that public health initiative um, on taxation. And then obviously, the governor likes the education component because it's considered funding. Right. You know, where he wants to go from full-day kindergarten to funding preschool. Um, full-day kindergarten has been very popular across the state. And I think uh, preschool um, bed slots uh, or slots in our School Finance Act will be better funded. And we'll, we'll, we'll continue to expand with this tax increase. Um, I was... I was looking at it from the point of view of the number of young people that are using e-cigarettes. Um, and so... Uh, regardless of where the money goes, if that inhibits it at all, it was worth every little bit of it. And if it actually helps, um, I was actually really happy to see this go through, but there was, I, I hear what you're saying about, there are people who just said, we don't, we don't want any taxes whatsoever anymore. Um, and that was a big, that was a big push um, in our area. I, I thought it was a no brainer to begin with, but then that was one of the things that I think we heard a lot mm -hmm. of as far as pushback goes. Um, on that. Um, we talked a little bit about national, the national popular vote. I wanted Brian to weigh in on this. I had, uh, I had somebody call, uh, talk to me yesterday and I told them that we were doing the show and they said they were really interested to hear what both of you had to say about this whole thing with the national popular vote. Um, yeah. Uh, so thinking of the national popular vote, um, you know, during the past presidential elections, we've seen a, a president win the election with the electoral college, but lose national popular vote. And I, I think part of it too, is people don't understand that the electoral college process and why it's there. And they think that whoever gets the most votes should win. And there's arguments for both sides of that. Um, you know, one issue that I had on it is you can have a presidential election in Colorado and it won't be the same candidates as say California or New York. Like, for instance, in Colorado, we had, I think, Kanye West on the ballot. We did. But he was not on the ballot elsewhere. And so say there is a presidential candidate that's maybe in some of the more populated states, but may not be in the ballot in Colorado. And even though the national popular vote, if that those candidates win, um, you may not be able to vote for a candidate in Colorado. Oh, yeah. um, and again, it gets into some constitutional law and issues with that, and I'm not the expert on that, but that was one of the flags I saw on it. Um, either way, you know, like Mike said, that the, the voters spoke on it. They wanted to see this. And, and I, my prediction is I didn't think it would pass, but it did pass. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we went. I didn't think it would pass either, but mm -hmm. Mike, what did you think? Well, uh, again, at the risk of being a nerd or sounding, like, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, Thomas Jefferson did this so he could empower states back in the day. 
so he could beat John Adams. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. now that's how they talked about it back then, right? So Southern states would be just as powerful as Northern states. Um, and that's how he beat John Adams. How I discussed it with my dad uh, this year was my dad, my dad um, wanted to keep it because he wanted to make sure that presidential candidates just didn't fly over Colorado, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, California, or to New York, um, and that they came here. The Electoral College is why in Southern Colorado in our lifetime in Pueblo, that they saw Bill Clinton, that they saw President Obama, that they saw John Kennedy. Um, in Pueblo campaigning. Yeah. Um, and whether or not those days are gone, if this ultimately passes, I, uh, you know, uh, as a national policy, um, who knows? Um, what I do know that is that this elections are always different and always challenging. And, um, and who knows, we might have someone from Colorado uh, be a president someday. And uh, so I think that the squeaky um, wheel gets the grease and that Colorado better be screaming if this ever becomes the law of the land to make sure that those candidates come to Colorado. So, um, no, we're going to have to scream really loud, but I want to make sure that our listeners understand that um, what this was is to join a compact. And there's several other states before this becomes the law of the land. There's several other states Um, And so I'm going to lean on your nerdiness there for a second, Mike. Um, There's how many states would have to actually join this compact um, for this to happen? I don't know if I remember off the top of my head. I want to say it's 26. Is that right? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So 20. uh, And then right now, how many have actually joined the compact? Do we know? I think it was around 11 or 12, but I could be wrong. And we may have been the 13th one. To join yeah. it? My guess is, especially after these last two presidential elections, that this isn't going to happen tomorrow, but it will most likely happen in our lifetime mm-hmm. and yeah. um, in the next 20 or so years. Because there's this, not, not just what you see here in Colorado, but across the country, more folks are leaving rural parts of rural states and moving to more populated states. They're leaving rural Colorado, for example, to, for the suburbs or the cities. And we're going to continue to see that. And so they'll make the, the, the folks against electoral college will continue to make the case. You don't really need it. Let's go with a popular vote. And to the, in, this, in this election's case, President Trump uh, drew, drove out a lot of votes from rural parts of our country. And this is a really close election, not just in terms of electoral college, but the popular vote. And so it wouldn't make it impossible for a Republican to win, for example, um, but I do think it'll make it more, it'll make it less likely that we'll see presidential candidates in Colorado. So before we go to the break, um, I want to talk just really, really quick. Um, um, this was this was an interesting one. Um, and, and we can talk about it more after the break, but uh, the reduction of uh, income tax. Um, I was, this was an interesting one because everybody, feelings were all over, it was really tight. So, Mike, really quick, um, tell us if you if you thought this was going to pass. I'm going to have Brian tell us if he thought it was going to pass, and then we'll go to break. So, what did you think about this? Well, I did think it would pass. Um, there's a longer story behind this, but this was an initiative to reduce state income tax in response to the threat of another citizen initiative that would have done a graduated or a progressive income tax rate initiative that ultimately didn't make the ballot. So this was a response of other citizens 
to say, you know what, we're going to give them a clear choice. You can raise taxes um, for folks that make over $500,000 or we're going to, or you can cut everyone's taxes. They were going to have dueling initiatives. And ultimately <laughs> the other one didn't get on the ballot. This one did. And now the state has $170 million in less revenue in the next fiscal year because it passed. Um, and, and we don't have a, there's not a lot of leeway. It's not like Colorado has a whole lot of money laying around. Brian, did you think it was going to pass? I thought it was going to pass. And I'll yeah. tell you why when we get back. Okay. We're going to go to break right now. When we come back, um, we're going to visit some more with uh, Brian McCain and Mike Beasley about all of the interesting uh, post-election wrap up and, and what's happening in Colorado. Everybody's looking at Colorado. So this is an interesting one um, to talk about. Uh, we'll be right back after the mess or after the break. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Welcome back. Uh, this is Sarah Blackhurst, and we've uh, got Brian McCain and Mike Beasley with us, and we are all nerding out right now on uh, fiscal policy, on uh, Colorado politics, on nationwide politics, how Colorado has really um, served as an incubator for a lot of initiatives um, and and some of our theories around that. Um, when we Before the break, we were talking a little bit about the... Um, the income tax reduction, um, and Mike, you said something um, that there it was a little bit bigger story. Can you dive into that for just a minute and talk about how what the other story is behind that? Well, the income tax reduction one is is an interesting one because every one of these things on the ballot, there's a story behind it, and this was a citizen initiative that was undertaken um, because there was another citizen initiative to raise taxes, especially for those higher weight, um, income 
uh, individuals making $500,000 or more, and it would have created a graduated income tax. So if you made over $500,000, your taxes would double to, or almost double to 12% versus the, um, the rate that we're paying now. Right. And so there were citizens behind that to raise taxes, and citizens got together with this proposal and said, well, if you're going to try and put that on the ballot to raise taxes, we're going to put something on the ballot to give them a choice to do the opposite and to cut taxes. And we cut our income tax back in 2000 to the rate that it was prior to this initiative. So um, how does that compare to other states? We, Do you know? Uh, yeah, well, you know, other states, you know, some states around us don't have income tax. Right. I more on property tax or more on sales tax. And so um, I will say that Colorado is still a very conservative state fiscally. They, um, they want you to take the dollars and the voting pattern proves that. They want you to fund the things with the money that you have that matters to them. Road, right. public safety, healthcare, education, basically. Right. And um, in my opinion. And so um, we cut tax, uh, the income tax back in 2000 and now we're cutting it again. It's about a $170 million cut. And again, what's interesting about this, again, is a nerd and watching this behind the scenes, this was put on the ballot because of the other, the other tax increase was going to go on the ballot. But unfortunately, I guess for the proponents in this case, they couldn't get the signatures to get their tax increase on the ballot. So that one didn't make it, but this one did. And they didn't pull it. So this one that did make it, they didn't pull it um, when, I mean, you can do that, right? Like once you get and you get it on the ballot, so you can decide, no, we're not going to do this because this was this was in a reaction or this was an answer to this other one, but they decided not to do that. That's how right. is the, how are we going to make up? Cause there's a huge budget shortfall. Um, and I haven't sent it out to action between two um, folks yet. Um, but the governor just put his request out. Um, and th- I mean, we're already facing a huge shortfall. Um, they cut education. Now the state owes um, the state of Colorado owes um, Colorado education, like a billion dollars. Um, Because they cut another half a million that wasn't there. Um, And so we're talking about these are not small numbers. Um, How are we going to how are we going to pay for everything? (laughs) That's the I think that's the worry. Well, the voters sent a clear signal that they don't like taxes, but they want to um, fund schools and they want those basic services. And I think they understood that. They understood, for example, on the Gallagher Amendment that property taxes help pay for the policemen and the firemen and the trash collectors and the folks that provide your water. And those are they they want limited government. And they tied the hands further, in in this case, of state legislators um, with the income tax, and they gave them a lot less. Um, And I I will tell you that I don't think the governor or the state legislature should count on a, a, a check in the next 12 months like they did a few months ago. Um from the federal government. And right. so we're gonna end up, here's what we're gonna end up doing. We're going to probably slow the rate of investment in healthcare, Medicaid, for example. We're going to f- further, the governor I think is trying his best, along with Danea Escar from the Joint Budget Committee, Representative from Pueblo, to um, try and hold schools as harmless as they can, K through 12. Right, agreed. But you are going to see tuition go up again and probably um, go up and not, if not in the high single numbers in the high 
uh, double digit or middle double digits, so 10 to 15 percent. That's just my opinion and my forecast for you. And yes. ultimately, Colorado is going to have to get to a point, for example, in higher ed. Does it really make sense? Is it really good for a state? Should it, when my kids were looking at schools, it should be just, it was disturbing to me that it was cheaper for them to go to San Diego State than it was to go to Colorado State. Yes. And so ultimately, Colorado is going to have to figure out what they want and, and what, you know, further prioritize either through their legislature or through these initiatives that we've talked about today on what they want to fund and how they want to fund it. So uh, during the break, we were talking about, and I think that goes exactly to what you're saying right now, there was a lot of mis- mixed messages um, the way um, Coloradans voted this year. Um, I have my opinion. I want I, that give one, me your that one was straightforward because you look at the ballot and you read through everything from you know the Gallagher this that the other. When you got to that one, it basically said you pay this much tax, vote yes, and you'll pay less tax, and that's all it was. Yeah, it was just simplicity. And the second that you see that on the ballot, they're going to go, okay, yes, I I'm want more money. Less. I want to pay less. Yeah, um, and it, it comes out to what I think $40 an average household is yeah. how much they'll save. But. but we'll pay tax. We'll, we'll, we want to pay less income tax, but tax the crap out of uh, tobacco and nicotine. Yes. Um, we want to pay less tax, but we'll, we'll repeal Gallagher. I mean, there were a lot of mixed messages and I yeah. wondered, my thought was, and to you guys both tell me if you think um, this is crazy on my part, but my thought was as looking at it, was this, um, a lot of these, again, wolves or whatever, were some of these um, just to test if uh, Colorado was going to vote party line on issue on issues? Because last time um, during the midterm, it was, it was clear that they were, you know, it was a blue wave and they were Democrats, but then they went very conservative on the ballot. Um, and so, but this time I thought it was back and forth and I, I looked and saw is it, was it a party line vote? And was that why some of these things were on the ballot? Because they wanted to test that during a presidential election. I, I don't think it was a, a test on it, needless to say. But what I think it showed is right now in this country, um, everybody is paying more and more attention to, to politics um, from local all the way up to the presidential. And I think for the first time in a while that we've actually had you know, a time in which everybody is invested in how they vote and that it's important. Um, and it, it's not always like that. And then with our ballot, looking at it and all the, everything on it, I think people actually did their due diligence and they researched it and understood the issues better than just, you know, going down what the, the party recommendation was, um, you know, the little booklets they send out saying right. about this, you know, vote Republican all the way down or vote Democrat all the way down on all these issues. I honestly think people read and, and did the research themselves more than they have in recent years. But yeah, that's just my opinion. Mike, what do you think? I, I agree. I, I think I agree in, in large part with that. You know, our voters are, are after nearly 30 years used to reading um, these ballot issues, both at the state and local level. And, and they know what they want funded. They have a lot of skepticism for government. Um, it is easier, frankly, as sometimes when I sit around the table, and we try and figure out how to do these initiatives. It is easier to pass things in a presidential election year because you have more voters. A lot of uh, and and 
um, folks that aren't necessarily fiscally conservative or, or um, you know, very liberal. Um, and it's a mix of everybody. So the voter, the, the ideology is diluted in a presidential year. Um, and our, so, but it's a fiscally conservative state and it just is. I will tell um, your listeners though that Colorado state government, it, there isn't a lot of pork. There is nothing really there. And I've been an executive yeah. director of the state agency. There is really not a lot there to cut. Um, they, our employees are, are um, you know, compensated that in a way that's equal to what your local governments are paying. They're not, there aren't these rich benefits uh, necessarily, in my opinion, and in, you know, it's just, it's a prioritization. And I think they've sent yet another message to the legislature, fund the things that are most important and then go home. And, um, and so, and oddly enough, or interestingly enough, the only bill the legislature has to pass every year is a budget. Every, the other 799 bills that they do is right. stuff. Uh, important stuff. <laughs> um, but the one thing they actually have to do is pass a budget. And, and that is, that's non-negotiable. I think um, I'm, it's important that you say that because I talk a lot about, um, I, I think it's uh, crazy to run for office. I think legislators, um, nobody's getting rich off being a legislator. What they do before and what they do after, um, that's going to, you know, being a legislator might benefit them. But while they are serving there, I mean, it's very little money. It's, it's less money by far than a lot of uh, county commissioners make or um, some other elected ones. Um, so you're right on that. So the, the last ballot issue I want to talk about before we get into um, where, where our representatives are now is uh, paid family leave. This was one that uh, for, for our businesses, um, for a lot of the Action 22 membership, we're screaming no um, on this one. And it passed with a pretty healthy margin. Um, what what do you see happening on that one? This is one I don't understand. I think it's um, as the average voter is not a business owner, nor do they understand the intricacies of you know running a small business and how this would impact it. You're going to read it and say like, yeah, I think that's fair. I am for that. I'm probably going to be in a situation like this, and it's a good thing. So I, I think that's why it passed. Um, it, it's a win for the voter. Now the the business owners. Um, you know, obviously they see it from the other side and, and they're against it, um, but they only make up a fraction of the voting base right. in Colorado. True. And again, I would tell you, as we talked about earlier, um, this is a much more generous uh, benefit package, the 12 weeks. Um, and, and, you know, for those voters out there that think that, you know, that passed in next year, um, when my wife has surgery, I'm going to be able to take time off or who might have a sick relative now that they want to take some time off. This program won't take effect for two years because mm -hmm. it's so really expensive. They need to build up the revenue in order to make the payout, the benefit payouts. So it'll be at least two years that, that employees and employers are going to be contributing to this in Colorado. And having said that, you know, we all know someone who's been sick who who can't stay home with someone at the end of their life, that type of thing. And, and, and there was a lot of sympathy with the voters. And um, 50, 
57% through two o'clock yesterday was the vote total on that. Um, and the proponents really, again, didn't want to deal with the legislature. The legislature wanted to pare it down. They wanted to work with the business community, for example, and, and make the benefits less generous and the proponents wouldn't have it. And this is just the kind of year where the huge turnout, we are the number one turnout state in the country in terms of turnout, the largest turnout in our state's history on Tuesday. And you can see what six out of 10 people think about that type of policy. And they wanted to see it and they want to see, I'm guessing they want to see more of it. Um, the challenge now wasn't, the challenge wasn't necessarily getting the voters to vote for this or even getting on the ballot. It's going to be implementing it in a meaningful way that one, people understand, and two, that it's a benefit uh, that will be able to financially sustain itself over time. And not um, so devastating that it, it takes businesses um, out of the, it takes businesses out. Um, so yeah, that's going to be interesting. Mike, was there anything else that was glaring to you that was a, definitely a mixed message on, on the way Colorado voted? You know, from a, from an initial, from a political perspective, I've, uh, legislative races, for example, right? And that's on our state house, one suburban Republican lost, which demonstrates what you're seeing across the country where, you know, Republicans are not surviving in suburbia. And you had a rural Democrat in Southern Colorado, Representative Bunteo, who lost. And so, you know, rural Democrats were losing to more conservatives um, in, in rural parts. And again, those lines that, that what I'll call the urban, suburban, rural lines are as strong as they've ever been, not just in, the, uh, um, in Colorado, but across the country. So we definitely saw that. Um, and we, you know, I, I think the voters, you know, it might be confusing to some who look at it, but they basically said in this last ballot, consistent with what they've said over the last 25 years, there are things we will pay more taxes for, and there are things that we won't. There are things we want you government to spend money on and things that we don't. And this ballot right. just reinforces that. And I just think, you know, because of Tabor, and I don't very, I'm not very complimentary of the uh, original author of Tabor, Doug Bruce, but in this case, you know, his intent has been fulfilled. Voters okay. look at it and they have decided and, and they read it, even, even with, you know, his intent to scare them with the bill titles, you know, shall your taxes be increased by a gigantic amount, for example. And they voters have learned in Colorado to read through that and make a decision and to really give very specific direction to our legislature and our governor. And they did it again. Yeah. I was talking with somebody um, in another state and they said, you know, for the first time, because they had the mail-in ballot, the first time uh, ever, they sat down and really, like you said, Brian, educated themselves. And it was because they had that. They said, usually it felt like going in and taking a test and they go in and they look and they might see it. Um, yeah. And then they go in and they're trying to vote and it's confusing and they get stressed out. And, and um, But that mail-in ballot um, may be very much what the difference was. Okay, so let's talk about what uh, what the state, uh, what our state looks like um, as far as the legislative um, chambers go now. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Well, you saw uh, what, we, what we just talked about where, you know, Democrats lost a rural seat in the ha our state house and Republicans lost a suburban house seat. Um, and in the state Senate, Republicans lost a suburban Senate seat. And so, 
Um, the numbers, uh, 20 Democrats in, out of 35 in the, uh, in the um, state Senate and 41 in the state House, um, largely the same numbers, minus that gain in the Senate, and very heavily Democrat. When I first started in this process, to give you an example, um, there were 25 Republicans in our state Senate, you know, 25 or so years ago, 30 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And now we have 20 Democrats. So you can right. see that demographics of Colorado have flipped that on its head. Um, and then there were 43 Republicans in the House. And now there are 41 Democrats. So again, the demographic shifting. And so it's really, this election was, should be a wake-up call for Republicans that they need to speak to issues that voters care about um, and to find good candidates. Um, I think right. the Democrats in Colorado did a really good job, especially in our state legislature, of finding good candidates. No, um, I agree. Um, I agree that they've they've found that, and it's it's d becoming more and more difficult. Uh, we won't know what the numbers are as far as um, Republicans, Democrats, and unaffiliated. But the unaffiliateds, uh, we know from the midterm. Um, and even in between, there is a lot of unaffiliated and it's, it's such now that they're not officially a party, but when you look at um, how they're going to do the redistricting commissions, um, that they are virtually a third party. How big of an impact did that make, do you think? Well, as unaffiliated. You know, as a recovering campaign manager myself over the years, um, you know, unaffiliated voters, I find it interesting when folks switch to unaffiliated because they're they're mad at the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. Let me share a secret with the with you unaffiliateds out there. That just means we're going to call you more and we're going to ring your doorbell more and you're going to get a lot more. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> voter that um, can be persuaded by either side, and um, so uh, the secret's out now, I guess. And um, and they are a huge impact for sure. Um, we very different in Colorado on this election where normally Republicans um, uh, vote earlier on and then Democrats will come in later and that flipped, I think, largely because the president was broadcasting to Republicans, you know, his distrust of, of this process. Right. And, um, and, you know, and that's why you saw a huge turnout of Republicans on Election Day in Colorado. Very different than what I've ever seen since I've worked on campaigns, you know, since the mid 80s. And uh, so it, it, it was very different for me. But um, ultimately, I think Coloradans, whether, regardless of what you're like me, who have been born and raised here or from other parts of the state, we have a great system. And um, and. I'll tell you, in, in Southern Colorado, uh, in the Action 22 uh, footprint, you had two really main leaders to get us to where we are with mail ballot. One of them was your Boulder, your current Boulder, excuse me, uh, Pueblo uh, County Clerk, Bo Ortiz. Right. Influential in the architecture of it. And then former Senator Angela Harone from Pueblo um, was the sponsor of the bill in the Senate that created mail ballots. And I can't say enough about her and her leadership to make this um, important. And I got a lot of pushback from Republicans when we did the mail ballot bill, because I represent all the county clerks. So, oh, yes. And I've, I've represented them off and on for the better part of 20 years. 
And, you know, I'm just not afraid of voters voting. And um, voters really like this. And we have a lot of safeguards. and We're the model for the country. Um, and so I think it, it leads to a more engaged, educated electorate um, in a safe system. And in a pandemic environment, it kept people safe. So I couldn't yes. be more, more pleased and proud of what we've done here as a state. Well, and, and for me, I'm one of those um, less trusting. And so um, I actually walked in my mail-in ballot and dropped it off. Brian, mm-hmm. what's, how big of a deal do you think um, the, this unaffiliated, um, is it going to be the majority before the next big election? How big of an impact do you think the unaffiliateds are? Um, you know, it's a, it depends on where you're at, but in, just in the congressional district, um, that I work in, you know, it's a third, 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 it's Republic, a third Republican, a third unaffiliated, a third Democrat and the unaffiliated vote. It's, they tend to lean more towards the Republican side, but in Colorado, um, you know, you're right. You're basically pitching to three parties here, yeah. you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, and the unaffiliated. And you did see, uh, over the past few years, starting probably with, uh, Bush, maybe even Obama, that you saw a lot of people that were just unhappy with what their party was doing. Um, so they went unaffiliated. Right. And um, Mike's right. Uh, my wife complains that we kept getting political mail. And I'm like, that's because <laughs> so you're unaffiliated. Much. <laughs> so much. So Mike, um, we're going to, we're about to wrap it up. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask your um, biggest concern going into this next Colorado legislative session. You know, I think the legislature has big decisions ahead of them. They need to balance a budget with uh, in a difficult revenue situation now on top of the tax decrease. So funding schools, roads, healthcare, public safety, that is a big concern. I honestly would not want to be governor in this budget environment. So that is okay. a big challenge. I think they're going to hopeful, uh, the legislature and the governor will hope that we get some more federal dollars uh, to help offset some of these decline in revenues. And then I think that um, the bigger issue uh, outside of those will be energy policy. And that might be an interesting show for you in the future. But with fires and, and the narrative of climate change, a lot of folks just got elected thinking they have a mandate to get rid of fossil fuels. There'll be a huge debate in this next session. Um, I appreciate that. I would I could nerd out like this um, all day with you, but um, that wraps up our show um, but we will come back and talk about energy policy and we'll do um, a little bit more about what the, the next legislative session is going to look like. So I'll have you back um, in a few weeks on that one. Um, thanks for listening to Action 22, uh, making action happen on the Voice America Network. Um, you can uh, listen online on demand for this show anytime by going and visiting the voiceamerica.com and looking at making action happen. Thanks once again for joining us. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.